0: the am
1: Today's sermon is pre recorded. The promise comes by faith. Oh Lord, quicken this word tonight and make it very plain to our hearts. Make it practical, Lord, for how it affects each of our lives. Thank you, mighty God. I trust tonight that as the grace of Jesus is poured out in this house, our hearts will be quickened. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Romans, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 9. 9b. Nine We've been saying that Abraham's faith Was credited to him as righteousness. Just very quickly, Abraham's faith, fidelity, firmness, not wavering, credited to him as righteousness, credited literally saying, God came and inventoried Abraham's life and discovered there was righteousness there that God had planted. He counted it up. The word credited does not mean to give somebody something they don't have. It means literally to add up what they do have. And what Abraham had was righteousness. Now, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before. It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now, what difference does it make whether God adds it up after he's circumcised or before he's circumcised? I mean, circumcision was simply a sign in the flesh that a person had cut off everything of the world. So what's the deal here about before or after? Well, it's a very big deal in the scripture and to the Apostle Paul. Because by this time, circumcision was not simply a cutting off of man's production. Circumcision was the seal that you had, the good housekeeping seal of approval on your life. To be circumcised meant you were keeping the law. It meant that you were absolutely walking in perfect obedience to the law. So this is very important. Does righteousness come by walking in perfect accord with the law? Or does righteousness come from another source? Now you remember Paul opened this book of Romans with this astounding statement in the first chapter, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the dunamis power of God, the dynamite, explosive power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. I mean, what God is interested in is righteousness. Why? Because God is righteous. And He wants us to be like He is, so that He can wed us. If we have no righteousness, we cannot be his bride. We have to walk in righteousness. So the whole deal with God is righteousness. Righteousness means innocence. Righteousness means walking without any rebellion. Righteousness means no resistance in the soul to God but an openness and a giving of love, a fullness. I mean, can't you tell guys that you're married or gals that you're married? Can't you tell when there's unrighteousness between you and your spouse? Oh, yes. You can feel it. You know it. Unrighteousness between a husband and a wife causes. Conflict and bitterness and discord, disharmony, factions in every family. I mean, don't you know when your child is in unrighteousness? They act differently. They don't respond with the same open face. But instead they turn their face down. They are sullen. So when you find yourself sullen, sulking, hang dog appearance, you know what the issue is. A lack of righteousness between you and and Jesus. So it's very important. Where did this righteousness fly into his life and land from? I mean, how did he get righteousness if it wasn't by obeying the law? After all, this is Old Covenant stuff, right? Righteousness comes by the law in the Old Covenant, doesn't it? This is before the law was given, folks. So I want to show you why God gave circumcision. Astonishing. I think it'll make your heart dance. Abram, in chapter 15, has just been visited by God. And the Lord has said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Not much righteousness here, is there? Accusations against God, bitterness. You haven't kept your part of the deal, God. Why am I suffering like this, God? So God comes and talks with Abram and Abram is pouting. He's sulking. He's got an attitude. Your mom or dad ever tell you, you got a bad attitude. Somehow that never seemed to improve my attitude. Well, Abraham has a bad attitude. The word of the Lord came to to Abram in verse 4. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So he stopped his pouting. He said, Okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And he started counting the stars. And I'm sure by that time he had to laugh because he couldn't count the stars. And I admit, Sometimes the only way I was able to distract my children and get them back into righteousness was to do something with them that totally changed and shifted their understanding of what was going on. A spanking will do that. There are other ways of doing that. That's what God did with Abram. He took him outside and said, "Okay, you're having a problem with me. Look up. You know, that'll still take care of your attitude. If you'll just look up, it's amazing the change that happens in your heart. Did you know your heart is attached to the direction your head is pointed? If you're hanging down, you're going to have a hang dog look. If you're lifted up, it's positional. But now, watch what Abram does. Chapter 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. She was an Egyptian. Hagar means stranger, means sojourner, temporary resident. So, This maid that they had received as a gift, probably, from Pharaoh to get out of Egypt. Now, Sarai says, why don't you take her and marry her? And because she's my slave, I will own the child. And this will be our child of promise. Oh, if we can't have a natural born son, let's get us a slave boy. And Abram says, let's do it. Now we find Abram making the classic move. God said I could have it. God said he was going to do it. How can I help you, God? How can I help you, God? I want your name to be honored. And you know I deserve it. So I'll make it happen. And so Hagar births Ishmael. And the scriptures tell us that Ishmael was a donkey of a man. Always in conflict, always in bitterness. Any of you have any Ishmael's running around? Any of you understand what I'm talking about? Where you decided to go out on your own and create what you wanted because God wasn't moving fast enough. And now you end up with something that causes you sorrow. But you have a a perverse kind of joy also because you have what you wanted. It's just not all that you wanted. But it's okay. We've learned to compromise. We'll settle with second best. And again, the hangdog appearance comes in. And an accusation comes against God. God promised me a son. Now look what I've had to do to get my son. And I have to put up with my wives constantly fighting with each other. My household has no peace in it what a miserable compromise God has walked me into. God didn't walk him into that compromise at all. So now we have 13 years where God doesn't speak to Abram. 13 years God doesn't talk. This is a man who was used to having God come down and speak with him face to face. This was a man who could see God approaching in the distance as God walked with his angels toward his campsite. And he quickly would get food and prepare a meal. And the angels with Jesus would be at his home for maybe five or six hours. It would take that long to prepare the food and bake the bread and get everything ready. And they sat and talked with one another. This was a man who was personal friends with the Lord God Almighty. This is a person who knew the voice of God, who knew the countenance of God. And for 13 years, he's been watching to see God come, and God hasn't come. For 13 years, he's been offering sacrifices and no fire. God is withdrawn. God always withdraws in the face of our Ishmael's. And if you have an Ishmael tonight, there's only one way you're going to have God come back and speak with you. And that is to repent of that Ishmael. and Maybe even send the Ishmael out of your camp. And frankly, we learn to love our Ishmaels. We become very attached in a perverse sort of way to attitudes, to belief, to practices that are Ishmael practices. The quick flaring temper. That's an Ishmael. Remember Ishmael was the donkey man. Have you been a donkey person this week? Have you been temperamental this week? Have you brayed like a donkey this week? either in public or private? In your prayer closet, have you been an Ishmael? These personal issues have to be dealt with if we think we want God to come walking and talk with us personally, commune with us. Now, Abram is 99 years old. Does that give you a clue on why he took Hagar? He knows Sarai's womb has already dried up. Her period is past. She can't have a child. But he has this young gal, Hagar. And she's fertile myrtle. God walked Abram into a situation where it was impossible for God's word to be brought forth. Now, could I just do a whole side? Forget the sermon for a minute. The Lord God of heaven wants to bring righteousness into Abram's life. He can't bring righteousness into his life by the law. So instead he puts Abram in a situation where Abram has to choose righteousness. The gift of righteousness is there or he can take Hagar. He has to choose. God promised him a son. Is he going to trust and stay with fidelity in his trust position with the God of heaven? If he does, righteousness will be added up in his life. If he takes Hagar, unrighteousness will be added up in his life and God will separate from him. So he has his little boy. He's grown up now to 13 years of age. And the Lord appears finally to Abram. I want you to hear the first word after a 13 year separation. I mean, what would you want God to say to you after 13 years of separation and silence? I know what I'd want him to say. Oh, it's good to see you again. I love you. And let me say then, well, then if you love me, where have you been? Why would you desert me? Where have you been? You haven't been in my life for 13 years. I mean, let me get out a little bit of my mad. Let me play victim a little bit with God. No listen, God doesn't let Abram speak. God speaks. I am God Almighty. I am God El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am the provider God. Walk before me and be blameless. Or, walk before me and be righteous. Do you catch what he said? He said, I am El Shaddai. Now be blameless before me. Well, there's only one way Abram can be blameless before God, and that's if he trusts in him as El Shaddai. If Abram does not recognize that God is the Almighty, he cannot be righteous before God. He has not been righteous. He has gone his own way. He has taken Hagar. He has tried to produce for himself, and he has simply produced chaos at home, division at home, brokenness at home, He has not produced the peace of God. He has not produced what his heart desired. So he has a donkey for a son. God said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So now God is coming and making another promise. He's not rebuking Abram. I like that. Most of us think that when God comes, the first thing he's going to do is rebuke us. No, he's had 13 years of loneliness. God doesn't need to come and rebuke him. God just needs to come and tell him what to do. And now, after 13 years, he's ready to do what God tells him to do. You know, it's amazing how the refrigerator works. When God puts a man in the refrigerator, he gets mighty cold in there. Has God put you in the refrigerator? I see some of you looking like you've been in the refrigerator quite a while. I want you to see Abram's response. Verse three Abram fell face down. That's equivalent to saying, Yes. 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 You are God Almighty, and I will walk before you and be blameless. Now God says to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham or father of many. For I've made you a father of many nations. Was he a father of many nations yet? No. In fact, his wife Sarai was way past childbirth time. Nothing was going to happen in the human realm. Remember, God speaks about things that are not as though they were. That's what Paul said in Romans, the fourth chapter. God speaks about things that are not as though they were because he intends to bring them to pass. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God. And the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and will be their God. And then God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Verse 13, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh to be an everlasting covenant any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God never intended to give Abraham the covenant of circumcision. God gave the covenant of circumcision as a sign that Abraham would now trust In the Lord God of heaven as El Shaddai. That the Lord God of heaven would be the provider God. And Abraham's agreement was, I will walk before you and be blameless, meaning I won't second guess you, God. I'll trust you. I'll trust the circumstances, whatever they are. I'm going to trust you, Lord. The circumcision is literally the clipping off of the skin, of the foreskin of the male penis. All in antiquity, the understanding was productivity came out of new birth. Both in livestock and in family. If you couldn't have children, you couldn't be prosperous. If your livestock could not bear fruit, you could not be prosperous. So God got right at the money deal. And he said, you must recognize in your flesh that you can never produce. I alone produce. It's not your job to produce. It's your job to walk before me and be blameless and I will keep my covenant with you, and I will do what I said I would do. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but it makes my heart dance. It utterly removes from me all need to create any more Ishmaels. So when the Lord God of heaven speaks to me, My question should never be to God, why? My question should always be that of Mary. How will this happen? Lord, you told me the National Prayer Chapel would be the the center at which you would bring revival in Washington. Why hasn't that happened? What have I just done? I've just accused God of not being the provider. I've just accused God of not being faithful to his promises. But if I come to God now and I say, Lord, you promised revival at the National Prayer Chapel. God, how's it going to happen? Oh, now we're friends sitting together. Now the Lord can explain to me how. I mean, my dad did not like why questions. And he would say to me, Raymond, stop asking me these why questions. I can't explain it to you. You're too little to understand. And then he would say to me, why don't you ask me how? And I'll show you how to do it. Oh, I learned early that all fellowship with my dad had to be centered around how, not why. Why? Daddy, how do I put this bolt in the motor? Daddy, how do I use this saw? Daddy, how do I use this plane? How do I, as soon as I would ask Dad a how question, he was right there to explain and to show and to help. As long as I insisted on saying, why are you doing that? He didn't want to talk to me. It's the same with God. God's not interested in asking or hearing you ask him why. He's interested in hearing you ask him how. That immediately gets his heart's attention. And he'll talk with you. Because when you ask how, you're saying you are the provider. You know, I have to tell you even now. I enjoy having my wife ask me how questions. Or what questions? You know, what is another good question? What am I supposed to do here, God? What would you like to have? How do I prepare it? When questions are also wonderful questions. God, when do you want to do this? When do you want to bring revival, God? It opens my heart up to express to him the hurt and the sorrow in my heart for the lost and the dying who are not able to experience the blessing of God. But why questions are accusational questions. Why are you treating me this way, God? Why aren't you doing what you promised me you would do? Oh, separation comes between my heart and God's. Do you understand? God allowed Moses 13 organic years to let righteousness grow up in his heart so that when God finally came and said, I am God Almighty, Boom, he's on his face in front of God. He's not saying, where have you been, God? Why didn't you show up here? I'm angry. No, he was was wanting to be warmed up. He was tired of the refrigerator. He was ready to have the fire of God poured out in his life. See, God didn't intend to ever give circumcision as a covenant sign. But he chose to do that, to unmistakably say, you can't produce offspring. You can't produce that company. You can't produce that money. You can't produce this relationship that you so desire. You can't make your children into what you want them to be. You can't produce because you're not the producer God. But you can turn to the I am God. You can turn to the God who is El Shaddai and lift hands and surrender. Say, when is this going to happen, God? And how do you want me to work with you? How do you want me to position myself with you, God? I mean, what a difference it would have been had Abraham said, Lord, my wife has come to me and, and said that I should take Hagar as my wife. Lord, would you... Would you show me about this? How do I handle this? What do you want me to do? Is the child of promise supposed to come out of Hagar? Didn't you promise me it would come out of Sarai? God, what do you want me to do? What sweetness there would have been between Abraham and God. Without circumcision. Let's be honest. The problem is that God is willing to press this issue to the point that I'm certain I'm going to die. If I don't step in and do what I know I can do, then it looks like I'm going to die. I'm getting older. Time is passing. My strength is waning. Look, I've got to take this shot or I'm going to lose all possibility. That's the lie that Satan comes with. Look, my life is going by and and all I'm doing is wasting it in the prayer closet. All I'm doing is wasting it, doing what God told me to do, but I'm not getting any result. Now, wouldn't God be pleased if I became creative and figured out a way to make it happen? No, God would not be pleased. He'll put you in the refrigerator. See, God really is serious about this issue of being God. Did you think God wasn't serious about being God? He is God Almighty. I can't tell you the number of times I've laid before him said lord i'm going to be sleeping in the car tomorrow night if you don't come with the resources and he's saying okay go downstairs get in the car put the seat back are you comfortable no lord then go back and sleep in the bed i gave you I'll take care of tomorrow. I've been disciplined severely on this issue. I'm being disciplined right now on this issue. Look at the little fellowship of people. Look at the hours I spend every day on the radio. Struggling producing broadcasts. Having to spend time in the prayer closet crying out to God. For the resources to move forward with radio. And why should we move forward anyway when it's not producing anything? What a waste of time. Wasting my life. Wasting my energy. Oh, God is testing me all the way to the nth degree. And He's testing you all. Do you feel tested? You should. You're you're under a microscope. And God is saying, will you try to be God, Ray? Will you let me be God? Will you trust me? Will you not get a bad attitude? Will you lift up hands and rejoice? And praise my name and worship me, even when it looks like you're going to die. God has called the National Prayer Chapel revival. He is the God who calls things that are not as though they were. I will not be moved. I will not be moved. I'm going to stand by faith on the word of God. Though all else fail, I will stand by faith on the word of God. I will not be moved. Do you understand that that position is righteous?
2: Yes, that's right, Lord.
1: And do you see that righteousness has come into my life? By God's discipline in my life, and that what God is most interested in is not revival. He's interested in righteousness. Revival's just a tool to bring righteousness. God's heart is not revival, God's heart is righteousness. Because He needs a wife. He can't marry a revival. He marries a wife. So Abraham, through these 13 years of discipline, is having righteousness built into his heart. Every time his wives were bickering and fighting. And he was saying, Ah, oh, what have I done? Righteousness was seeping into his soul. I won't have a second child with Hagar. You notice she had only one. I don't think he ever ventured into her tent again. He knew the fire of Sarai would be upon him. You catch it tonight. Righteousness was being built into him. Righteousness is a gift from God's heart to us. But he walks us through the valley of the shadow of death in order to open our hearts that righteousness can be poured in. Lord God, Pour your righteousness into my soul. Thank you, mighty God. I praise your name tonight and I worship you. King of all the earth. I trust you. You are the provider God. God almighty. I worship you.
2: More than the sun to rise, the stars to shine, the seasons change, you are, you are, more fearful than the moon to cast her light, the tides to turn again, you are, you are. Failing friend, unchanging God Or words define You are, you are More faithful than the things we see Or that our feelings seem to say You are, you are You are faithful, Lord Never-failing friend, unchanging heart, eternal Savior. You are faithful, Lord, never-wavering guide, unending source, ageless creator. You are faithful, Lord. As you have always been, so you will always be the living word, the solid rock that holds our hearts in perfect peace. God, eternal Savior You are faithful, Lord Never wavering guide, Unending source Ageless creator You are faithful, Lord Oh, You are faithful, Lord.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.